divine appointment of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, for each one of us, myself included, that today would be an eye-opening moment. I pray, O oh God, that the reality of your word, that the light of your word, that it would illuminate these areas in our lives that we must address. And God, I pray that you'd give us the spiritual courage and the disposition of heart and understanding of mind to do so. Commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of us grow up with a dislike for people we've never met. Maybe it's the family down the street that at one point there is the perception that they did a wrong to someone in your family. Maybe for you, it's people who look a different way, dress a different way. But even the very sight of these individuals, even though that specific individual has not wronged you in any way, it triggers something within you. Frustration. Anger. Bitterness. This issue of the emotional stranglehold and the importance of us dealing with it, you'll find the principle of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Say that word with me. Forgiveness. Say it again. Forgiveness. You'll find this principle throughout Scripture. And here's what you'll discover. The Word of God says this, where there is bitterness and unforgiveness, you will not see God. Peter wanted to impress Jesus when he asked the question, Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? I, I want to show you that, that I'm a very forgiving person, to which Jesus responds and says this, no, 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 not seven times, seven times seven. which in that culture meant infinity. There's no limit to the amount of forgiveness that we're supposed to bring into our existence, into our life. Why? Well, to answer that question, I, I want to spend a little bit of time this morning in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians, when, when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, the first two chapters of the, of, of the book of Colossians, is a, it's a doctrinal discourse. It's an, it's an explanation of freedom from regulation and stepping away from legalism and walking into right and healthy relationship with God. The first two chapters of Colossians explains to us in great detail the supremacy and the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
and the fact that Christ and Christ alone is all that you need. Having an understanding of that then, understanding who Jesus Christ is, and recognizing the great work that he did on the cross to provide freedom for us, right? Isn't that what the Word of God says? It was for freedom that Christ set you free, so don't allow yourself to be yoked again with all these bondages of slavery, the stuff, the junk that that Satan tries to, to suck you in with. And so, The Apostle Paul, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he explains the supremacy of Jesus Christ in in chapters 1 and chapter 2. And then when he gets to chapter 3, he says, since then, having an understanding of who Jesus is and understanding that Jesus is complete for everything that you need, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on the things above. Where, Where Christ is where he reigns and, and where, he, where, he, where he rules. We're supposed to set our heart on the things above. This issue of forgiveness, it's an important thing. It's an important thing because our heart belongs to God. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Do you not know that you were bought with a price? My heart belongs to God. I was talking with someone this morning about this, this issue of forgiveness and the fact that Jesus makes this statement. One of the most quoted portions of Scripture is found in Matthew chapter 6. It's the Lord's Prayer. And in Matthew chapter 6, it's Jesus' first publicly recorded message, his first publicly recorded sermon there on the Sermon on the Mount. They're on the Galilean hillside. And, and Jesus is giving them principles over and over again. And, and he, he says this. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he deals with this issue of being in right relationship. First in right relationship with God, and then right relationship with one another. First that your vertical relationship is right, and then that your horizontal relationships are right. And he says, listen, when you pray, I don't want you to babble like, like the pagans do. They think they're going to be heard because there are many prayers. When you pray, I don't want you to praise the public spectacle. I don't want it to be a show. This needs to be something that is, that is profoundly personal. It's a connection. It's communication between you and God. And don't make it into something that it's not. Understand the importance of this connection with God. When you pray, pray in this way. And he starts with a very intimate statement of a heavenly, of a, of a heavenly father. Right? He, he refers to, to, to Father God as Abba, which is a very intimate, very respectful, very tender statement of our Father God. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Talk, praises Him. Talks about the needs that we have. And, and then at the end of it, He says this, and, and forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses, depending on what translation you, you, you learned, you memorized. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? He finishes up this prayer, and then the very next statement he makes in Matthew 6, 14, and 15, he says this. He says, for if you don't forgive those who have wronged you, your heavenly Father doesn't forgive you. 
That's a powerful scripture. Jesus says this, the measure with which you forgive others, that's the same measure that God uses to forgive you. Somebody asked me the question this morning. They said, so, like, that means you're like, you're still a Christian, but you're operating in, I said, no, 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 let me, let me help you with this. And here's part of the problem that we have in religion today with pop culture today, this issue of easy believism and cheap grace. Let me say that again because I want you to catch this. Easy believism and cheap grace. Jesus paid the price for your sin. But one of the mistakes that we make is we will pull Scripture out of context and we'll quote, the, quote those Scriptures. And oftentimes we do it because we want to sell people on Jesus without them understanding both the privileges and the obligations of being a part of His household. We also, in vanity and pride, we'll try to make the path to Jesus as easy as possible to where we can put another notch in our Bible. Well, the Bible says, believe upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. So all you have to do is believe upon the name of the Lord. Satan believes in Jesus. I can remember one time having a conversation with one of my siblings who said this. He said, Ed, 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 he goes, I believe everything that you're saying. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe that he lived a sinless life. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose on the third day. I believe all that. I just don't want it. Acknowledgement of Jesus is not acceptance of the gift. Let me say that again. Acknowledgement of Jesus is not acceptance of the gift. And what, what, what God offers us in Christ Jesus is a redemption of sin and a restoration of relationship with him. But it is impossible, listen very carefully what I'm about to tell you, it is impossible to walk in right relationship with God and walk in wrong relationship with others. In other, in other words, if your horizontal relationships are wrong, there is a disconnect between you and God. How can you say this, Pastor? You don't understand what that person did to me. You don't understand how this person wronged me. In the same matter, forgive as God forgave you. Now, what efforts does God require of you? What efforts does he demand of you that you make things right before he forgives you? What area of your life, what sin can you commit that God says, nope, it's a deal breaker, I'm out. And God demonstrated his own love towards us, or his own love towards me, his own love towards you. And that while you were still in your sin, before you ever made a turn towards God, he paid the price. Paid the price for the path to forgiveness. If any man be in Christ,
Christ, if any woman, if any person be in Christ, they're a new creation. And so forgiveness is not an option because because my heart belongs to God. On April 17, 2012, Chandler Gerber was driving down a, a silent, deserted stretch of rural Indiana highway when he thought, there's nobody out here. This would be a good time to text my wife and let her know I'm running a little bit late. And it was that momentary glance down to look at his phone to type a text that prevented him from seeing the Amish buggy that was there on the side of the roadway that he struck at over 60 miles an hour. Buggy, clothing, articles strewn across the highway. Martin Swartz lost his five-year-old son and his three-year-old daughter that day. Weeks after the accident, Chandler Gerber received a letter from Martin Swartz. And here's what it said. Dear one, trusting in God's ways, how does this find you? Hope all in good health and in good cheer. Around here, we're all on the go and trying to make the best we can. I always wonder if we take enough time with our children. Wishing you the best with your little one and the unknown future. I think of you often. Keep looking up. God is always there. Sincerely, Martin and Mary Swartz. Chandler Gerber had been forgiven. He had been forgiven because Martin and Mary have a healthy understanding of what forgiveness is. The reason that so many people, whether you be a Christ follower or not, the reason that so many people struggle with the issue of forgiveness is because Satan has figured out how to use this as a stranglehold to keep you in bondage. And what he has done is he's twisted our understanding of forgiveness, which prevents us from operating in healthy forgiveness. Let me talk to you about what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not on any level minimizing the seriousness of the offense. Forgiveness is not forgetting the offense. Well, we just have to forgive and forget. Well, I can't forget. Any of you ever been hurt by Someone you loved, raise your hand. Come on. Put it down. Anybody ever have somebody cheat you out of money? Raise your hand. Yeah. Anybody ever have somebody 
speak ill over you that was undeserved? Raise your hand. We've all been through it. For my birthday, my freshman year in high school, I received a football autographed by Archie Manning. Some of you here know who Archie Manning is. Those of you younger folks, that's Peyton Manning's dad. Um, he's a really good guy. And, um, and I, uh, that, uh, I, that was one of my prized possessions. My, um, my brother Pete stole that football and uh, pawned it for drugs. It's not the only thing that he stole. I love photography and, and, um, and uh, was fortunate enough, saved up some money and, and um, saved birthday gifts and Christmas gifts and things of that nature and, and I bought a, a camera system, Canon AE-1 camera system. Man, I love that camera system. It's just a few months after I purchased it that my brother Pete stole it and pawned it for drugs. Stole my bike, pawned it for drugs. One Sunday morning, we're in church, and um, I'm responsible for the prayer time at the end of worship. And as I'm, as I'm coming up, I feel God tell me that I'm supposed to have people pray for unsaved family members, unsaved friends and loved ones. And, and, and this is what I said. I said this. I said, as, as we come to prayer this morning, no doubt there are many needs. But this morning, we're not going to focus on our needs. We're going to focus on the needs of others. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for unsaved fr- friends, family members, loved ones. And, and we're, we're, we're not going to pray generally. We're going to pray specifically. I'm believing that God is going to place upon your heart someone that you're supposed to pray for this morning. And so as we began to pray, I said this. I said, to, not out loud, but to myself, I said, okay, God, I, the instruction that you've given the body, this includes me, who should I pray for? I have... 12 brothers and sisters, I have cousins, aunts and uncles, grandma and grandpa, friends, lots of different people. The person that God places on my heart, my brother Pete. In full candor, and uh, and here's what I know, I know that I have family that, that are watching this via live stream this morning, so to my sister Belinda and all who gather in her house, um... True story, I didn't like Pete a whole lot. That's who God put in my mind. And, and honestly, my first reaction was, I felt like God told me, pray for Pete. And I'm like, seriously, God, Pete, give me somebody else. The guy's a jerk. He's mean. He, he, he's mean to animals. He's just a, ugh. But that's who God told me to pray for. And so I prayed for him. At that point, I probably had not talked to my brother Pete in at least, at least eight years. The next night, I'm sitting at home. We're, Jody and I live in a suburb of Chicago, Illinois. Um, Jody is um, 
Jody is off doing something. I, I think this is when Jody was actually pregnant with Lauren. And uh, I'm, I'm there, I'm watching Monday Night Football. It's rainy, just kind of ugly night. And, and the phone rings, I pick it up, and I said, hello? This is back, remember when you had a home telephone, right? So phone rang, hello? No caller ID. It, it had buttons, okay? And I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to get Mabel. Mabel, punch me through to BR549. Some of you remember that phone number, and that will that'll take you to a different place, right? Junior samples. And, uh, but I answered the phone, and the voice, the other, uh, I said, hello? And the other voice, the voice on the other side said this, hey, you probably don't know who this is. And I wasn't 100% sure, but I was 90% sure. I was freaking out, and my heart was racing about 200 beats per minute. And I said this, no, I know who this is. Hi, Pete. And he said, hey. He goes, I'm sitting here, and uh, I'm going to give you the G-rated version, not the way he actually said it. He said, I'm sitting here and thinking about our messed up family, and you're the only person whose life makes sense, and I want you to explain to me why. And I said, well, that's interesting. I said, um, well, tell me what's going on. He said, well, I've gone blind. I don't have any feeling in my fingertips, so I can't even read Braille. He goes, my life is pretty messed up. And... Uh, so I want, I, want you to, I want you to tell me what the answer is. So I, I start talking to him. I said, look, I'm not trying to convince you of my way or anything like that. You know, I'm throwing out all these disclaimers. And he, he finally, he, he, a few minutes in as I'm offering these disclaimers, he cusses me out and says, look, you didn't call me. I called you. Quit beating around the bush. Tell me what I need to know. And I said, okay, you want to know what you need to know? This is what you need to know. You're a horrible, awful person. And you need Jesus. And here's what you need to do. And he broke and he said, can I do it now? He said, will you help me? And so we prayed there on the phone. It wasn't but a few months later that Pete passed away. Early 30s. And I think he was 35. At his funeral, people kept saying this. Oh, we know where Pete is because he was such a great guy. We know where Pete is because he was such a great guy. He wasn't such a great guy. I was asked to preach Pete's funeral. And I told them this. I said, listen, I've heard people say over the last few days, we know where Pete is because he's such a great guy. I said, that was debatable. I said, but I know where Pete is, and let me tell you why I know. And told them the story that I just told you. You see, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I think God gave Pete and I that moment on that rainy October night because Pete needed Jesus. And I needed freedom from the anger and the bitterness that I held towards my brother. Now, here's what's interesting about that. I was convinced, had you asked me that Sunday morning, moments before that prayer, 
Had you asked me if I had issues with unforgiveness, I would have said, oh, absolutely not. Because you see, when I was 19 years old, God revealed to me this issue of forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness. Being violently abused by my stepfather growing up, God revealed to me how I was carrying bitterness and unforgiveness towards him and, and the importance of releasing that. And as a 19-year-old man, I had reached out to my, to my stepfather and then extended forgiveness towards him and even asked him to forgive me for the bitterness that I held. So you see, I was living as an overcomer. Unforgiveness, bitterness had no hold on me. Yeah, really. I had addressed it with one person in my life and Satan had snuck in through the side door and brought it with another person into my life. And here's what bitterness does. It robs you of joy. It frustrates the peace process. It hinders healthy relationship. It affects you spiritually. It also affects you physically. A mountain of research shows this, that unforgiveness in your life dramatically increases hypertension. It dramatically increases the possibility of stroke and heart attack. It dramatically increases the effects of diabetes in your life. When people operate in forgiveness, the ability for their blood pressure to go from a heightened state to a healthy state is, is substantially increased. Why? Because God designed us. Your physical body is designed to relate to the spiritual place in which God wants you to live. And when you're right spiritually, it has dramatic impact. It permeates the very fiber of your being. Forgiveness, walking in forgiveness, friend, makes you healthier. With long life, he will satisfy you, the Word of God says. And so I, I have to walk in forgiveness because my heart belongs to God. I have to walk in forgiveness because because heaven is my home. Set your mind on the things above. Set your mind on the things above. Set your heart on the things above. God, my heart belongs to you. And because my heart belongs to you, I want my heart to beat in unison with your heart. I need to set my mind on things above. I need to not be so caught up with the petty things of this world. Sir, she cheated on you. I know it broke your heart. Ma'am, he's never said a kind word about you. I understand the pain of that. But that's not your world. And it's not your destiny. This is but a moment. The life that we have here on earth, it's but a vapor, but a whisper. It's but a blink in eternity. And don't let your eternity be impacted because of this emotional, relational speed bump. God has demonstrated you 
He's demonstrated to you how to do forgiveness. He was the example. Before you did anything, he forgave you. And he forgave you under what condition? Under no conditions. His forgiveness is unconditional and absolute. And so, because my heart belongs to God, and because heaven is my focus, I'm not going to allow myself to get caught up in petty things. And I'm going to operate in forgiveness because God's grace doesn't just cover me, it covers everyone. So it says in Colossians 3.11, it says, listen, God's no respecter of persons. And understanding this, that as we set our heart on the things above, as we set our mind on the things above, that God is no respecter of persons, therefore we can clothe ourselves with, com- with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We can bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances we have against one another. We can let the peace of God rule in our hearts or umpire in our hearts because we're called to peace. And to be grateful. As Dylan Roof, the gunman accused of killing nine people inside a, a church in Charleston, South Carolina, appeared in, in court to formally hear the charges against him. Representatives of the victim's family came forward to give a victim statement. Nadine Collier, whose 70-year-old mother, Ethel Lance, was killed in a horrific and senseless massacre fueled by hate. You took something very precious away from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold you again. But I forgive you. And have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But I forgive you. Forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. It's also not forgetting what has happened. These people who have lost loved ones, they'll never be able to forget that. Those of you that have been the victim of violence, I understand. I've been there. I bear the scars in my body also, the physical scars of of, of, of a an early childhood of horrific violence. I can close my eyes and I can see those moments replaying in my mind. Forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is also not reestablishing the same type of relationship. And here's the reason why. Because Forgiveness is based on grace and love. 
relationship is based on trust. And even though I forgive you for a wrong, that doesn't mean that there's trust again. Because trust should never be given. Trust should always be earned. See, that's, that's part of the problem that, that people get caught up with this issue of forgiveness is they think that if I forgive, that I have to step back into an unhealthy relationship. That's not what God's asking you to do. Relationship is based on trust. Okay, so let me help you with this. God's grace and forgiveness is already yours. God's grace and forgiveness is already yours. The relationship that you have with him is based on trusting in him. Right? It's by grace through faith that you're saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. Isn't that what Ephesians 2 says? And so, forgiving is not minimizing the offense. It's not saying that it never happened. It's not forgetting it. It's also not jumping back into a bad relationship. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is forever giving up the right to hold the person accountable for their actions or attitudes. Let me give that to you again. Forgiveness is forever giving up the right to hold someone accountable for their actions or their attitudes. And so, to the one who has wronged me, to the one who has wronged you, because our life is not our own, because we are hidden in Christ, because he paid a high price for us, in exchange for an eternal destiny in heaven, I have given my earthly life to Christ. And if you are a Christ follower, you have done the same. Now, what that means is this. It means that your hurts no longer belong to you. Listen to that. I want you to hear that. I wanted to sink deep into the recesses of your heart and your mind. I wanted to hit the depth of your soul. If you are a Christ follower, if you've given your life to Christ, your hurts no longer belong to you. You cannot continue to hold on to that part of your life. You can't do it. Because there's only room for one person on the throne of your life. And it, 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 while it may sound cliche because it's been so used and maybe even so overused, the fact that it's cliche doesn't invalidate it in any way. Jesus is Lord of all or not at all. And here's what I can't do. I can't say, okay, God, you are God in this part of my life, this part of my life, this part of my life. God, where this person wronged me, uh -uh, I'm holding on to this one. This little area of my life, this little corner of my life, God, this is, this is, this is my deal. Okay? Mentions this is mine, saith the Lord. Well, God, I'm going to be your hand extended. It doesn't doesn't work that way. And here's what I'm convinced of. And this is why I believe this message is so important. I'm convinced of this because I spend time around Christians. 
And I spend time around a lot of people who will walk into church on Sunday morning and they'll do this. Okay? And, 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 and we'll sing praises. And we'll say, sing things like, your presence is heaven to me. And, 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 and God, I surrender all. My life belongs to you. And as soon as the music fades, we go back to this all too familiar disposition. And even the thought of an incident or an individual, here's what it does it triggers anger, which fuels flight or fight. Some of you, your anger is towards the church. In fact, there are folks who are watching via live stream today that they struggle with even coming through the doors of the church because the church hurt them, because the church wronged them. And it's time for you to lovingly come to grips with this bondage that you've allowed the enemy to keep you in. Well, I don't, I don't have any unforgiveness towards that person. I just don't want anything to do with them. Listen, listen to what I'm about to tell you. The absence of love is not hate. Hatred most of the time is just misguided emotion. The absence of, the, the, the opposite of love is apathy. Let me say that again. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. Don't, don't worry a whole lot about the person that hates you, or don't worry as much about the person that hates you as the person who doesn't really care about you. See, you saw on the video here a few moments ago, Dylan Roof. Dylan Roof didn't hate those people. He didn't care about them at all. They didn't, they didn't matter at all to them. They, he had, they had no value to him. They were simply a means to an end. They were a tool that he used to communicate a message. And oftentimes we'll think because we don't have hatred that everything's right. But just because you don't have hatred in your life and just because there's not visible anger doesn't mean that you're operating in forgiveness. So how do I do that? How do I operate in forgiveness? Well, it's there in Colossians chapter 3. And it starts with committing ourselves or devoting ourselves to Christ-like character. Right? That's what it says there in Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen people... Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. None of those are optional. It's not multiple choice. It's all inclusive. Compassion. Kindness, 
humility, gentleness, patience. Let the same attitude be in you, let the same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. How could Nadine Collier look at a video image of Dylan Roof and speak to him through video conference and say, I forgive you? How could Felicia Sanders, who had lost her son to senseless violence, look at the person who mercilessly pulled the trigger and say, I forgive you? I believe it's because they had an understanding of the character of Jesus when he hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. See, God had demonstrated this issue of forgiveness. What did Jesus say when he said, Father, forgive them? Here's what he said. He said, Father, I give up the right to hold them accountable for their actions and their attitudes. This bondage of bitterness, this bondage of unforgiveness. It's the reason why the writer to Hebrews, in in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since you have been surrounded by such a, a great cloud of witnesses... You need need to set aside everything that encumbers you and run this race with perseverance. And one of the key areas is in this area of relationship. And you you need to watch out for, you need to be careful of this issue of bitterness. As far as it depends on you, we're told in Romans. As far as it depends on you to live at peace with all people. See, we need to devote ourselves to Christ-like character. And the second thing that we need to do is we need to decide on godly forgiveness. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Oftentimes we're even willing to walk in forgiveness, but we're willing to walk in forgiveness on our terms. not on God's terms. So here's what I will do. I won't hold hold malice towards you, but I won't see any value in you. I I don't have any bitterness, Pastor. I don't have any unforgiveness towards that person. I don't want to be around them. I don't like them, but I don't have unforgiveness. Hey, let's check that pulse real quick, why don't we? Right? If, if you are unrepentant, living in sin, rejecting the grace of God, what is his posture towards you? If you're hostile towards God, 
if you're active in pushing back against the things of the kingdom, what's God's posture towards you? Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Place your burdens upon me. What's what's Jesus' posture look like? It looks like this. This is God's approach to you, ma'am. This is God's approach to you, sir. He stands there like this. Godly forgiveness. Well, I will forgive if. I will forgive when. Here's what God says. I have forgiven. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Nobody does. Come on. See, that's the problem, is we have this idea, we have this thought, well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. I know. You know what? The stupid things that I've done, I don't deserve to be forgiven either. But it's powerful. Jody and I have been married 30 years. And over the years, I have had this conversation with myself many, many times. Seriously, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You know what? No, I'm always the person that says I'm sorry first. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. She is wrong this time. She is so wrong this time. I did nothing wrong. This is all on her. She's going to have to fix this. Seriously, I don't care. I've reached the point. This is it. No more. I'm done. I'm out. I can't take it. I've had this conversation with myself, I guarantee in the last 30 years, at least 30 times. And it usually lasts, no lie, it usually lasts for about a minute and a half. And I'm like, Jody, I just want to say that I'm sorry. I I, I want you to forgive me, and and you know what, I, I forgive you, and... You know what I've discovered in this? The forgiveness isn't just for the other person. Forgiveness is one of the best tools that God has given me. To where my life is calibrated rightly. And so what I do is this. Because I choose to have my heart set on the things above, because I choose to have my mind set on the things above, because I recognize that God is no respecter of persons, it allows me to, to say, listen, I'm going to live my life with a godly disposition. I'm going to live my life with, a, with godly character. And living life with a godly character and understanding that He is Lord of my life, then I need to forgive, not according to the way that I think I should forgive, but I need to forgive according to the way that God says that I should forgive, and I need to forgive according to the pattern that He has demonstrated. Right? And then once I do that, then what I have to do is this. I have to determine to love. Right? And then walk in peace. 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, is that you? Well, hold on. Help me out. Therefore, as God's chosen people, is that you? Sure it is. Here's what Jesus said. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. Chosen. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these things, put on love. Love is what seals forgiveness. Well, I can never love that person again. Ha! Wrong. You're confusing love with trust. You're also confusing love with like. I can love people I don't like. Have you ever done that? Love somebody you don't like? I do it all the time. I do it with some of you. Because some of y'all are annoying. Just saying. There are people I love. That was good. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Here's what I know. I know that all across this room, there are people that love God. And you want to walk in right relationship with Him. And life in many levels is right, but, but there's something that's kind of missing. And you come to church on Sunday morning, and, and, and during the time that you're here, you feel better. Worship does a, it does a great thing in your life. And this time that you spend in God's presence, it, it re-energizes you, it invigorates you. But if you'd be honest, by Monday afternoon, you're already dragging again. And here's the reason why. Because you love God and, and you want to serve Him. But you got this, you got this stuff you're dragging behind you. Okay? You're dragging behind this broken relationship. You're dragging behind this, this open wound that you've not allowed to heal. You're, you're dragging behind this this bitterness. You're, you're dragging behind this debt that's owed to you. You're carrying all this baggage around and it's, it's wearing you out. And God brought you here this morning to challenge you to let go of that. To forever give up the right to hold the person who did this to you, to forever give up the right to hold them accountable. 
And, and God wants you to do that not just for their benefit, even though it will benefit them. But God brought you here this morning, friend, to hear a message about unforgiveness and to talk to you about the importance of forgiveness because He wants you to be set free. He wants you to be set free. And let the peace of God champion in your heart. 